834, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start off today's program like we start every program. Three big things. Story number one, terror strikes again. This was a developing story right as my program ended yesterday. Um, a, a van attack in Barcelona. I, I think everybody is familiar with the story by now. What happened is you had a terrorist who is still at large who uh, driving a van busy tourist section of Barcelona, um, essentially drives into a crowd of people on the streets. At least 13 are believed to be killed, over 100 injured. Like I say, the terrorist is still at large. Subsequently, um, in another coastal community in Spain, what happened later on is apparently there was something that uh, very sort of similar type of attack Police ended up shooting and killing four suspects and wounding a a fifth. They shot down perpetrators who were apparently trying to do a similar sort of thing to what was done in Barcelona. This was an organized effort. And, And once again, this is the type of terrorist attack that is geared like what you saw in Paris, like what you saw in France earlier this year, like what you've seen in London. This was the type of terrorist attack which was designed to injure and kill as many people as possible let's find a crowded tourist area and let's take something which is going to be almost impossible to regulate a vehicle something that we all have access to or at least most of us have access to and let us drive it into a large crowd it is the face of evil ISIS is claiming credit for this, whether it was ISIS or whether this was some independent cell. You know, th- those those details will emerge. But this demonstrates once again how vulnerable we are to terror attacks, because the truth of the matter is there's not a lot of things that you can do to prevent attacks on the so-called soft targets. Now, th- there are things, and I think you're going to see more large urban areas going to where, where they take like the, the metal poles and they put the metal poles into the sidewalks to make it more difficult for you know somebody to drive a lengthy period of for a, a lengthy distance. But nevertheless, the, the truth of the matter is, when you think about the different things we do. Last Saturday morning, I was at a crowded farmers market. Crowded farmers market. You know, you've got all sorts of people. What they do is they block. I was in West Bend. West Bend has a really nice farmers market. They block off you know, several blocks in the heart of downtown. And there's some barricades at one end of the street, and there's barricades, you know, a few blocks down. But the truth of the matter is, and, and this is what happens in American cities on on an almost daily basis. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you had somebody that decided they wanted to cause as much carnage as possible, you know, you, you get a truck, you get a vehicle, you drive at a high rate of speed, you, you can do that. There is very little... I think we can do to prevent somebody other than identifying the plot and trying to catch them in advance. Now, the one of the frustrating things, as somebody who comments on the news, is over the last week, we have spent, and I, I will tell you, trees have died, and of course, pixels ha- have been created and generated, as the obsession has been over... President Trump's remarks to what happened in Charlottesville last Saturday. Did the president go too far? Was did the president not go far enough? Was it, you know, all the, this ongoing discussion, this ongoing outrage over that? The underlying issue 
of course, that, that generated the demonstrations in, in Charlottesville, which we're going to talk about again a little bit later today, has been the whole idea of Confederate monuments. You know, you had the, the neo-Nazi crazy people that decided that they were going to protest. You had the counter-protesters that showed up. You had the fights that were breaking out. But it was over something which is largely symbolic. I mean, the truth of the matter is a Robert E. Lee statue whether it belongs in a courthouse or doesn't belong in a courthouse. A Robert E. Lee statue is not going to kill anybody. A Robert E. Lee statue is not going to hurt anybody. The debate that has obsessed us has been symbolic. You know, in 2017, can you honor Confederate war dead? And I understand reasonable people can take different positions on that. But the events of yesterday, to me, really hit home and and should perhaps make us take a step back and concentrate and recognize on some of the things that are really important in this world. Namely, there there are true evildoers in the world who hate us. And, and by us, I mean the free world. By us, I mean people who don't follow a particular interpretation of a religion. There are people out there who want to destroy and, and kill as many of us who don't follow this particular religious dogma um, as possible. And they are out there on a daily basis trying to accomplish that. And while I understand it is interesting to argue about, gee, should we have Confederate monuments in Gettysburg? Should we have Confederate monuments in downtown Charlottesville? At the same time, what happened yesterday should really perhaps cause us to refocus and realize that there's this larger world out there, and there is a very, very small, crazy segment of this world that is at war with all the rest of us. And many of us, I don't think, are even recognizing that there is that war that is going on. But those people are out there. They are trying on a daily basis to figure out however, whatever manner is available to kill as many of us as possible. And I, I, I am wondering if moving forward, whether the events in Barcelona and this other coastal city in Spain, whether or not that is going to cause us at all to refocus and recognize that there's a lot of issues that are facing us in this world. But issue number one, security concern number one, issue number one on a daily basis has to be protecting us from terrorism. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, have we taken the eye, our eyes off the prize, off the ball, when it comes to dealing with terrorism? Are the terrorist threats real? Do we need to be more vigilant? Do we need to be more concerned? Do we get sometimes caught up in day-to-day issues and in some cases petty politics and not really realize that there's something bigger that's going on there, namely, uh, again, zealots who are out there trying to kill as many of us as possible. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think yesterday in Barcelona was a wake-up call to once again remind us how vulnerable we are, not just in Spain, not just in Great Britain, not just in Ireland, not just in France, but also in the United States, 
to, again, people who follow a murderous ideology who are committed to killing as many of us as possible. 414-799-1620. I think yesterday was, once again, to the extent we need it, it was another wake-up call which should tell us that the war on terrorism whether it is in the United States or whether it is international, continues to be and should be priority number one. 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Big Thing Number One. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, I, over the last over the last couple of weeks, the, the big one of the big issues has been obsessing over not the, not the horrible attack in Charlottesville that caused the loss of life and people being injured, but the the under number one, did President Trump say the right thing? And then the underlying issue that generated these various protests, the whole issue about Confederate war statues, which to me, one way or the other, is largely symbolic. Regardless of how you feel about this, like I was saying earlier, a Robert E. Lee statue isn't going to kill anybody. And at the same time, we recognize or we need to be reminded that there really are people out in the world who want to kill us. You saw this in Barcelona. You saw it in the other town in in Spain. And if nothing else, I think it makes us or should make us refocus our priorities to realize that terrorism, the war on terrorism is ongoing and it needs to continue to be fought. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Hi. I think you hit the nail right on the head. We got the eye, we got our eyes on the wrong ball here, and it's been that way. And a lot of it's being driven by political correctness. But the question that I have, and this is something that I have yet to hear any news media outlet anywhere talk about, is the fact that we have seen these radical Muslims killing other Muslims in Muslim countries, correct? Correct. Well, we have yet to see, we have yet to see these radicals kill Muslims either in America or in Europe. These Muslims that are on our soil or in in European soil have remained free of any attacks. And we are being told that we should trust these people. We have nothing to be afraid of. But if they aspire to our values and our system of government and our freedoms, that, in my mind, should make them traitors and instant targets for attack. Yet every one of these attacks is being launched on people of either Jewish or Christian faith, and they're in areas where there are no huge Muslim gatherings. I would like to know why that is. Well, I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, I think you're, you're, in some respects, you answered your question. I mean, I, I look, I, I, I the the ninety nine point nine five percent of people who um, of Muslims are, are are not the Islamic terrorists. That is a small, small, small in my opinion, subsect, subsect of that the people who follow that religion. Just like, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, just like you have hate groups in this country, all right? I mean, and there's no question. Now, I, um, you, you see the hate groups act out or the individual, like these lone wolf attacks. This was a lone wolf attack on Saturday. But, I mean, you, you have some people who are, are willing to do whatever they possibly can. And, I mean, this is the whole idea is, well, if, if you haven't condemned Trump, you're you're a member of a hate group or something like that. No, these whether it's the Islamic extremists, in my opinion, or, or whether it's the the neo Nazis that are out there that are prone to violence or whatever. I mean, you have to recognize that there are people that are out there trying to kill us. 
ISIS takes credit for these attacks. And I understand that there's some people who just want to stick their head in the sand and pretend this isn't an issue and it doesn't affect us and they want to go in with their Trump derangement syndrome or whatever. But at the same time, I think we need to realize, if you don't realize that there are people out there who have declared war on folks with different ideological and religious beliefs who are prepared and who act out on a regular basis, well, prepare to be disappointed. Um, here I have a note from one of our listeners. Any question why we take our eye off the terrorism ball? CNN and MSNBC still dedicated 80% of their coverage last night on what Trump said instead of Barcelona and analysis of what happened and what we might do to thwart it. The president and his food fight opponents, opponents need to focus. And, and that's, again, that that's, that's my point here. I mean, I, I understand that we want to get obsessed with you know, the politics of who said what and things like that. But at the same time, there is a larger issue out there, and that is that there are people who are trying to kill us, and we need to figure out ways to be proactive and prevent it. I heard Mike Gallagher, who's the congressman from the Green Bay area. Mike, of course, um, former military military background. I heard him give him a speech that I just I, – I, I wish we had more politicians that said things like this because he was saying, in his opinion – the number one priority that we have to have as a country is protecting ourselves from terrorism. That, that was the number one priority. And then he explained, you know, why he was thinking that. It was a very interesting, kind of scary, and a little bit refreshing to hear that. And the events of what happened yesterday demonstrate that clearly. Greg and Appleton says, absolutely, this should be a wake-up call, but the people who control the story, the mainstream media and the Democrats, will keep us chasing insignificant and shiny things instead of having the story turn to things that really matter. If the story goes to national security, both North Korea and the terrorists, um, people are seeing that things are going to get things done. Trump wins if the story goes away from the latest shiny, insignificant story. Now, I'm not claiming that the attack in Charlottesville was insignificant. I'm, I'm not. But that was, it appears, it wasn't an organized attack. It was one crazy guy. It was not like the, the marchers decided, here, we're going to try to kill a bunch of counter-protesters. And I'm not condoning the marchers at all. It was one lunatic um, who decides to drive his car into a bunch of people and he kills a woman. And that's horrible. It's tragic. The guy deserves to be prosecuted and we need to condemn hate speech. No problem with that. But at the same time, let's not lose, lose sight of the fact that you have organizations, a worldwide effort that is out there trying to design to figure out how to kill as many of us as possible. And isn't that worthy of a little bit of analysis as well? And the problem is it's scary because how do you stop a situation where you have a madman wearing a wearing a suicide bomb belt that decides you're going to try to drive into a crowd of people in a tourist section? It's scary. It's difficult to figure out how to deal with it. But it is an issue which we need to discuss and be aware of constantly. And it's big story number um, one. Big story number two. All right, there's a very interesting column out there that says that if you still support Donald Trump, you are a racist. We will discuss that next. It's big thing number two. It's 8.52. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 8.55. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two. If you support Donald Trump, some suggest that necessarily means you are a racist. Now, we've been talking about the Trump response to Charlottesville all week. My take, 
I thought on Saturday his statement was fine. It could have been in more detail, where, but details were, in fact, emerging. Some people said he should have done a follow-up sooner. Okay, I, I, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But I, I thought a lot of the initial criticism was unfair. I thought his statement at a press conference on Monday was completely and totally appropriate. I think it hit the right tone for people who wanted him to single out the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacists. He did. Um for many people who hate Trump, that still wasn't enough. But I thought the Monday statement was pretty good. Um, then you have this impromptu press conference on Tuesday where he's supposed to, again, talk about infra- an infrastructure executive order and then leave. And instead, he gets into this lengthy kind of kid it reminded me of a middle school food fight between him and the press where he starts talking off the top of his head and he again comes up with this sort of again admittedly maybe a moral equivalency between i don't know some people on the left and these neo-nazi groups and the white supremacists and he says not all these people are bad people to which you want to say mr president they're white supremacists for the love of god and and somebody said well jeff how would you have handled the press conference And i said well real easy i would have done what i did and then I would have left the stage. Or if somebody asked a question, I would have simply said, well, I have said all I have to say on the matter of Charlottesville. My comments yesterday stand, um, period, and then I would have left. But that's not President Trump. He ends up getting into this defensive argument, goes back and forth, and then now you've made it a third, fourth, fifth day story. There's a column by a woman named Jennifer Rubin in the Washington Post, and I want to share a portion of it with you and then get your reaction. Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton was vilified for calling some of her opponent's supporters deplorables. During the campaign, we noted her opponent's reliance on white grievance and negative racial stereotypes. Pollsters could see that during the campaign. No surprise, those voters with the most racial animus were drawn to then-candidate Donald Trump. Polling and statistical analysis after the election confirmed the role race and xenophobia played in the campaign, far outweighing economic anxiety. This did not mean that all Trump voters were racists, but some clearly were. For others, Trump's racist appeals didn't bother them enough to deter them from voting for him on other grounds, his business background, etc. Now we fast forward to Charlottesville. Trump has spun a tale of moral equivalency between white nationalists and those who oppose them. He'd said some of those who participated were fine people. Do fine people accompany neo-Nazis shouting anti-Semitic slurs, using the Nazi salute and embracing Nazi iconography? And yet there is a segment of GOP voters who still defend him, agree with his response, and have sympathy for the false narrative of white victimhood an essential component of neo-Nazis and white supremacist ideology. It goes on and on and on. In sum, there is no non-deplorable rationale for continuing to defend this president, his rhetoric, and his moral obtuseness. No one is asked to confess error in voting for him, although some self-scrutiny would be appreciated. Nevertheless, continuing to deny he is unfit for office and to make excuses for his verbiage makes one complicit in his racial divisiveness and his determination to provide aid and comfort to neo-Nazis and white nationalists. Um, Some delude themselves by thinking that Trump can show greater moral clarity. 
or that staying in the administration prevents damage to the country, or that the 2016 voters' verdict cannot be upset with no regard for subsequent events. Let's be blunt. These are rationalizations for continued support for an unfit, racist president. It does, in fact, make one deplorable. The columnist is essentially saying that if you continue to support Donald Trump, you are implicitly or in some cases explicitly a racist, and you are deplorable. All right, is it possible to support Trump to this day and not be a racist? This columnist and many people believe the answer is no, that if you still support Donald Trump, you are inherently a racist. What do you think about that? We discuss after the news, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 9 o'clock. It's 9.08. This is Jeff Wagner. As I said during the presidential campaign last year, Donald Trump is, in my opinion, a deeply flawed human being. He was not my first choice to be the Republican nominee. He was not my 10th choice to be the Republican nominee. But he was elected as the president of the United States. Now, Donald Trump, in my opinion, his worst enemy is himself. He lacks discipline. He is thin-skinned. He responds to responds to things that ordinary responds to things without thinking, and it ends up repeatedly getting him in trouble. I have said time and time again that if this administration is going to succeed, um, what somebody needs to do is take away his Twitter account. You know, stop allowing him to stop allowing Trump to be Trump. Because the problem is, when you're 72 years old, you're, you're probably not going to be cha- not going to change unless you are forced to do it. As I said all week, I thought his initial comments on Saturday after the incident in Charlottesville were all right. I, I don't think they merited the intense criticism. You know, he denounced hatred and bigotry on all sides. And so you, you got this this immediate blowback, always not calling out the white nationalist groups. Could it have been stronger? Yes. But I, I thought there, it was an overreaction to what he said. His speech on Monday, I thought, hit the right tone. He denounced, uh, again, hatred and bigotry. He specifically called out the KKK and white supremacists. And the reaction among the Trump haters was, well, that's not good enough. He was only forced to do it, again, proving that I don't think there's anything he could have said that would have satisfied people. His news conference and comments on Tuesday were disastrous. And and I don't care whether you're a Trump supporter or a Trump hater. It it was just disastrous because, again, he he starts, you know, uh, instead of staying on message, instead of moving on, he starts talking about moral equivalencies and things like that. And he just brings up this entire subject uh, again. Um, it was unfocused. It was this effort to lash out. It was an inability to take any sort of criticism a- at all. And again, I-, I think he hurt himself deeply. There- there's no question about it. And as an individual, like I've said all along, I consider him to be flawed. At the same time, I think there are certain policies, many policies that he is advancing that I, I think are good for this country. But now in the wake of Charlottesville, more and more people are saying, and look, I 
one of the things, this administration is damaged. There's no question about it. And it's damaged largely, again, because of President Trump and his inability to focus, his inability to, uh, again, stay on message, and a lot of the personal characteristics that a lot of us conservatives worried about during the course of the campaign. But now the attacks on Trump have spread to supporters. And again, I shared right before the break this column written by a Washington Post reporter who says, not only is Donald Trump a racist, she's looked into his heart and she knows that he is a racist, but anybody who still supports him is a racist as well. So, you Trump supporters out there, are you in fact racists? 414-799-1620. Mike on the south side. Mike, you're first. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I don't make, think it makes you a racist for supporting him. I just believe that it makes you uninformed. Some of these people are not listening to a lot of the like you had said, he, he, the things that he's saying are completely, uh, he's going off the cuff, and it, it shouldn't be something that a president should be doing. Yep. He's his and, own worst enemy. He, he exactly. is. Exactly. And I'm not a Trump supporter by any means, and but I don't think it makes you a racist just for supporting him, because I know a lot of people that are supporters of him that aren't racist, but they aren't very well informed. They, they're narrow-minded, looking at one point of view, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, or I see. I mean, I, again, I I look at some of the, I, the the president's appointment to the United States Supreme Court. I think I thought was was an inspired appointment. I, I think he's right on some issues. I think he's dead wrong on other issues. And I think his comments, especially his comments on Tuesday, were extremely unfortunate. But I guess I, I, just because I agree with some of the guy's policies, I don't think that that makes me a racist. I don't think it necessarily makes anybody a racist. And I guess I'm kind of concerned, Mike, that we're throwing that term around. That, you know, okay, if, if you agree with this person, you must be a racist. Well, well, no, not necessarily. You might just, you might, like you say, you, you might be uninformed, or you might agree with some of the policies the guy has without necessarily being able to look into his heart. Now, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I mean, seriously, because you, if I agree with uh, with some of the policies that Trump is trying to advance, and I do, not all of them, I still don't understand this whole thing about building a wall and things like that. I don't agree with him at about a lot of his trade sort of stuff. But if you agree with him on some of his things, cracking down on sanctuary cities, for example, talking tough with North Korea, trying to draw a line, okay, that makes you a racist if you're a Trump supporter. Um, 414-799-1620, Andrew texts, what the reporter wrote is, is in itself deplorable. I didn't vote for Trump, but the rhetoric used in this article is not any better than the logic used by the white supremacists. To judge a group of people and make a sweeping generalization based on a decision they made that you don't agree with is just wrong. 414-799-1620, 800-414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, again, you can criticize you can criticize the president. You can criticize, you know, any. You can criticize Ron Johnson. You can criticize Gwen Moore. But, but this idea that, well, okay, if you're going to support them, that means that you have to be a, a racist. No, can't you disagree with somebody on a particular issue or agree with them on others without being told that, gee, that means that you're a racist? And doesn't it? 
doesn't it trivialize the real racism that is in this world when you throw around terms like that and label broad groups of, of people, well, you've got to be a racist if you still support Donald Trump because you think he's doing the right thing when it comes to tax reform or something like that. Let's talk to Mark in Heartland. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, like I was telling your, your screener, mm-hmm. um, this article is coming from a newspaper which mantra for many years has been anti-conservative and especially anti-Trump. Um, Trump could part the waters like the Lord did, and they would say that he was causing people to drown. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, have, they have the credibility, anybody that, that listens, they have the credibility, along with the New York Times, of those newspapers you see in grocery stores, like the National Enquirer or the Star, where share is supposed to go up into the heavens with Martians <laughs> next week. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, Mark. I mean, thanks for the call, Mark. I mean, I, I look. I understand why why Donald Trump is such a lightning role. role. And I'm, I, I mean, I I got some this texter. Stop being an apologist for him. And it is interesting. I, I have I, I've said this repeatedly. Um, I understand there are some radio stations you listen to, and it's all hate Trump, hate Trump, hate Trump. And there's some Trump can do no wrong. I have tried to be true to myself and carve out what I consider to be the reasonable, nuanced position on this, which is to criticize him when he does things that I disagree with. Um, and then also at the same time to say, all right, when it comes to this policy, I, I, I agree with this policy or, or that policy. And I have been a Trump critic at times and I've been a Trump supporter at times. It depends on what the particular issue is. I have argued for the longest time that I think Donald Trump's biggest enemy is Donald Trump, his inability to act presidential, his inability to, again, stay on message, his inability to focus, his inability to stop from just talking uh, again, shooting off his mouth when he should, you know, just leave well enough alone. And this whole thing that happened Tuesday was a classic example of that. He had put the matter, I think, to rest, and he then, uh, again, brought this all up. But I'll tell you something, because I agree with Donald Trump on who he's appointing to the courts, I resent being called a racist. I don't think that makes you a racist because you, you know, agree with some of the things that he is trying to do. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Tim in Madison. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. You know, I, 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 think there's, I think there's a split in this conversation, and I think that there's a lot of folks that are stepping out. You know, you, you obviously, like you said, you've taken your stance and, and split yourself on different issues based upon your views. I think the people that are going all in and are supporting him no matter what he says. I, I haven't I haven't read the article that you're speaking of, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm guessing that that's the person she's talking about. That's the racist. Is the person that is saying, you know what? It, it, he's my president. He can do no wrong. I'm not going to disagree with anything, and I'm going to defend him. You know, till the sun goes down. And I I, I think that's in in those parts. I, I live in the Midwest. Obviously, I'm calling from Wisconsin. I mean, it, it's shocking to see some of the people come out and defend these actions and even take them a step further and people that I've known for years. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's definitely started some pretty unique conversations and, and shown people some sides of people that it, they never really knew existed. Yeah, I and think it, that's the concerning part, you well, know, Jeff. Well, no, and it is, and Tim, thanks. For, I mean, he, look, I, I understand he is also a very divisive president. Like, like I say, he wasn't my first choice in the Republican nominee. He wasn't my 10th choice in the Republican nominee. And I... I actually hoped that when he became president, he would 
be able to, uh, again, recognize that whatever skills he had that, that made him a TV star and helped him make money and got him here, that those skills necessarily didn't translate into you, you had to you had to modify that to be the president of the United States. And un- unfortunately, I don't think he's grown into the, the, the job at all. And his response as, as he's gotten the inevitable criticism you're going to get from the left, his response has been to go deeper and deeper into the bunker and to you know fight back on people who want to try to, quote, unquote, manage him and not let Trump be Trump and all those type of things. And so he continues to create issues for himself that are unnecessary. Also acknowledging that you now have a mainstream media Whatever you wanted, however you want to define that, that is that is united in trying to bring him down. Okay, so I I get that there's all this tension that's going there. I guess what I was just saying though is that this idea, and I, I mean actually, you know, Tim, I, as I'm looking at this column, I, I actually think what the columnist is trying to say is that you know people who continue to support the president you are necessarily racist because he is a racist so if you that's the premise so if you agree with his policies and you continue to defend him that necessarily means you know you are a racist and my reaction is well well no no i I am sure that there are people who are racists who support Donald Trump, just like I'm sure that there were people who were racists who supported Hillary Clinton. I'm not drawing a moral equivalency or anything like that, but at the same time, this idea that we're going to blank and say that anybody who still defends Donald Trump um, is automatically a racist, I reject it. We continue the conversation next. It's 920. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, this is now the thing. If you support Donald Trump, um, you support his administration, you are a racist. If Donald Trump isn't a racist, why? I'm looking at one of our texts. Why does he surround himself with racists like Jeff Sessions? This would be the Attorney General of the United States. This is the thing. All right, you know, we're going to call people racists. This is it. And we're going to say this, um, you know, seriously. Uh, Let's see. Um, our text lines just exploded. No matter what Trump says, people will distort what he says in every way, shape, and form to advance their negative agenda. I think there's an element of that. But again, I want to be clear here. I think Donald Trump remains his worst enemy. And you're 200 days into the administration, and he's got to figure out a way. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be one of the interesting things. Has you know, his approval ratings are in the mid to low 30s. I know there's people out there that don't believe the polls, but the truth of the matter is it's it's not at a I am concerned that the personal reaction to Donald Trump that more and more people are having is getting in the way and will end up ultimately blocking a reform agenda. And that is very, very disturbing to me. But do I think just because you support you support the Trump administration and you want to see the country succeed and you like who he's appointing to the bench and things like that, that that automatically means you are racist? No, I think that is an ignorant position as well. Which brings us to big story number three. We look to the West, the People's Republic of Madison, and Mayor Paul Soglin, who, uh, again, wants to be governor. If you know the background on Paul Soglin, Soglin was... Uh, anti-war activist back in the during the Vietnam era he's kind of I mean I describe him as the now aged hippie mayor of 
of Madison, who, as a general rule, harbors his ultra-liberal beliefs, except when they're not convenient. For example, um, recognizing that, gee, when you have homeless people overrunning your downtown area, it gets in the way of commerce. Well, now he's trying to crack down on homeless people. So he's kind of a situational liberal in in that regard. Um, Yesterday, he announced that Confederate memorials that are have been in a city-owned cemetery, the city-owned Forest Hill Cemetery, for over a hundred years. These two memorials will be removed. There's a larger monument that um, has been there for about a hundred years and will require heavy machinery to remove. And then there's a, another memorial that has a text and a history of it. Here's what the memorial says. It's a memorial to honor 140 Confederate soldiers who died in 1862 while in captivity at nearby Camp Randall. They were buried in a mass grave at Forest Hill. So there is there's a, a monument. Um, here's what the, the inscription they call it the Confederate Rest Monument. So this is a mass grave for, what, 140 people who died while in captivity in a Union prison camp. This, this is what the monument memorial says. The valiant Confederate soldiers who lie buried here were members of the 1st Alabama Infantry um, Regular, Confederate States of America. They were captured in the spring of 1862 in the Civil War Battle of Island Number 10 in the Mississippi, Mississippi River, south of Cairo, Illinois. Their task was to stop traffic carrying men and supplies to northern forces further south. After weeks of fighting under extremely difficult conditions, they were forced to surrender. Constant fire from river gunboats and land forces made their position untenable. After surrender, they were moved to Camp Randall, and when they arrived, many were suffering from wounds, malnutrition, and various diseases. This is all on the memorial. Um, Within a few hours, 140 graves were filled. The last resting places for these unsung heroes far from their homes in Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas. Here also is the grave of Alice Whiting Waterman, a gracious Southern lady who devoted more than 30 years of her life caring for the graves of her boys. All right, that's that's the inscription talking about this mass grave and explaining what it is. Paul Soglin has ordered this removed from the public cemetery. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is, to me, appalling that Paul Soglin, the mayor of Madison, would decide that this this monument, which, again, marks a mass grave, which has been there for over a 100 years, explains the historical context of how these men were buried in this mass grave, that by modern standards of political correctness, we now have to disturb Again, the memorial that marks this grave. I think that is appalling. For Look, you know, Arlington Cemetery has said very clearly that they're not messing around. They are not going to go into graveyards, and they are not going to alter memorials. Gettysburg has said very clearly that they are not going to go into graveyards and start um, taking down monuments or memorials that mark the resting places of people. It is one thing if you want to say, do we have a courthouse in a public square that's got a statue of Robert E. Lee, and should we take it down? To me, it is quite different 
to say, let's go into a cemetery and let's start disturbing monuments and markers that explain why people are buried there. 414-799-1620. All right, let's tee this up. Is Soglin right? Is this Confederate memorial offensive? Is the inscription, and I assume what he probably doesn't like, is the part of the inscription that describes these people as you know unsung heroes far from their homes. All right, is this so offensive that we need to start going and, uh, again, taking things out of cemeteries? 414-799, in the name of political correctness. 414-799-1620. It's 929. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time, and he's provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we're sending you. Keep listening later today to the show for your last chance at a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. All right. Paul Soglin, the aging hippie mayor of Madison, has ordered two Confederate monuments, one in front of a mass grave that's been there for, well, well over 100 years. Um, It is being removed in the name, in my opinion, of political correctness. I think the decision is, to use the word we've been throwing around today, deplorable to go into graveyards and start taking these things out. I think grave markers explaining what has gone on I think that's different than a Confederate statue or a flag flying over a state house. It's 937, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One state's governor says that taking down Confederate statues and monuments is equivocal, equivocal, is the equivalent of removing a 9-11 memorial. Would you agree with this analogy? Scafidi and Billstead, take your calls today at 1235. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about here a, a statue of Robert E. Lee that stands in the town square in downtown Madison. We are talking about two memorials that are in gra- a graveyard that have been in the graveyard for well over a 100 years, and the politically correct and perpetually offended ultra-lefty mayor in the city of Madison is ordering, in one case, heavy equipment to come in to remove the markers because, well, he doesn't want somebody, I guess, to be offended. I read you the inscription on the Confederate Rest Monument, which talks about the history of how the 140 people came to be buried in this mass grave Apparently, Paul Soglin feels in 2017, we, we, can't, we can't have a memorial to these people. We can't even have a recognition, a monument that explains how 140 people got buried in that particular grave. And I think it is shameful. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Random Lake. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. But I'm, it's one thing to go after statues. It's another thing to start raiding graveyards, in my opinion. Well, I, I agree. And, Jeff, I really feel that this political correctness is weakening, weakening us as a nation. Uh, we can't rewrite history. History happened, and we can't forget that. And it's no different than forgetting what happened in Nazi Germany during World War II. We, we can't forget it. We have to remember it so it doesn't happen again. But I believe uh, that the government, the U.S. government, several years ago, recognized Confederate soldiers as American soldiers. And people need to remember that the Confederacy, that the main objective of the Confederacy was not slavery. It was a part of the, what the Confederacy 
it was part of the makeup of well, their. And, and their who government. knows who knows what the political beliefs are of of these these hundred forty people who were fighting in Cairo, Illinois. I mean, who knows if they were slave owners? All who who knows how it was that they they came to be captured? I mean, but seriously, we we can't even explain, like you say, why they're in this grave because of political correctness, really. Yes, I agree, and I'm I'm so happy that Arlington and Gettysburg are, are taking right. a firm stance. Uh, on what they're going to do or not do with the memorials and monuments. I've been to both places. Um, it's a very moving yes. place to be. Uh, it's, I, I just uh, wish that Americans would, would come to their senses and... Well, well, right. I mean, th- th- I mean there, there is... I mean, we, we are sanitizing history here. Now, I, I had a caller who dropped off right before I was going to go to him who, who said, well, I disagree with the, the part that you read in the inscription that, that says they were unsung heroes. Oh, okay, well, all, all right, fine. All right, but, you know, you, you have this monument that is explaining in great detail how it was that the people who were buried there got buried there. It, it is a piece of history. And, and, all right, maybe you don't consider them to be unsung heroes, but really you're going to take the monument down because of that, the marker that marks 140 people in this mass grave. Let's go to our text line. The Confederate soldiers of the ranks were typically not a slaveholder and not a West Point grad that broke their oath to the United States. They died in captivity. Let these men who um, were caught in the middle of the conflict, not of their making, lay in peace with some measure of the afforded respects. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, really, you're we're. You know, it's it's not grave robbing, but but still, I mean, at the same time, um, let's see another one of our texts. This is from Dan and Milton. It is appalling to essentially delete history. The monument explains the reasoning. Once the monument is gone, the historical context goes with it. Isn't the idea of history to learn from mistakes so we don't repeat them? Um, yes. Yes, let's see. Uh, Mike and Fond du Lac text. The mayor of Madison should be ashamed of himself. Yes, by the way. To defile the graves and to dishonor people who fought in the war is absolutely the wrong thing to do. It is simply a political move to help build his base. I believe it is an opportunistic move on his part. I agree, by the way. Soldiers on both sides of a battle fought with honor and integrity and ultimately gave their lives for what they believed in. What is wrong with this mayor? And like, like I say, this is... I tried to draw this distinction. I, I understand, okay, do you have a monument in the town square? That's one thing. But really, you're now going to start going through, and this is a publicly owned grave site. You, you wouldn't, right, this is, just so people understand, people are saying, well, you know, what, what's his authority to go into, you know, private private grave cemeteries? This is, this is apparently, it's a city-owned grave graveyard. So, I mean, theoretically, it's under the jurisdiction of the city. But you have this monument, if you want to call it a memorial, if you want to call it a plaque, that's been there for over a 100 years. And this is what the aging hippie mayor of, of Madison's decided, gee, people might be offended by this. So I'm going to go and take it down. Let let people rest in peace, for goodness sakes. Let's talk to Mike in Winona. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I think it's awful that they're trying to take down a monument to soldiers who died doing what they were told to do by their government. Yep. That's the thing. They were following orders. And for the mayor of Madison, who, by the way, is in a city named after James Madison, who is and was a, a slave owner. owner. Yep. I think he should be demanding that they change the name of Madison. 
I, I, you know, I, I, Mike, I completely, I completely agree with you. If this is, if this is where we stand with political correctness in 2017, Paul Soglin, you should be having a press conference today saying, you know, we have to take down this monument because, gee, somebody might be offended. We we can't have this memorial that stood for over a hundred years because somebody might be offended. And you know what? I, I have decided that you know instead of instead of Madison, because some people might be offended by that. Because you're right, James Madison was a slave owner. We now have to call. Oh, I don't know. Let's rename this Fred or something. But of course, then somebody would find somebody named Fred that they thought was offensive. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I mean, I'm just sorry. This is just it, it. It's just it is aggravating to me that you have this effort to sanitize history in the name of political correctness, and, and you just you do wonder what the limits on this are. We now have the mayor of Madison who is going into public graveyards, disturbing monuments because he finds them to be offensive or some people might find them to be offensive. You know, they got one of these two monuments to taken out. Apparently, they've got to even move heavy machinery in to start getting the thing out. It's been there for over 100 years. Can't you let these people, these soldiers who died in captivity, can't you let them rest in peace? And how much how much history are we going to sanitize? Is Paul Soglin going to go to the Smithsonian and go through the uh, or, right? Go to the Smithsonian, go through the, the history, the Museum of American History, and start saying, "Well, gee, they've got Confederate uniforms there, and and they've got banners, and they've got plaques that talk about you know what it was that the South was fighting for." We've got to take all that out because somebody might be offended. Give me a break. It's nine forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Shame on you, Paul. Soglin. It's 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time and has provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee. He's going to be performing at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. We have been giving away tickets to the show all week, and this is... Your last chance to win a pair of tickets, caller number 16 to 414-799-1620. Caller 16 wins a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. And thank you to the promoters for giving me the opportunity to give away Gordon Lightfoot tickets all week. As I was saying earlier, I'm, I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan, and when, when you ask him about who was his biggest musical influence, he says Gordon Lightfoot. So um, that's it. All right. A couple more um, thoughts. We, our text line just exploded on the, the whole Paul Soglin sending heavy equipment into a cemetery to remove memorials um, that include like a historical explanation of how 140 Confederate soldiers happened to be buried in a mass grave. Mayor Soglin is pandering to his misguided base. Yes, he is. The majority of these young men were not plantation owners. Most had little education and many were illiterate. They were young men that rallied around their flag and fought gallantly against a perceived enemy of the North. Most did not own slaves. History cannot be erased. These monuments are a reminder of our past and a lesson for all of us to respect humanity and one another. Um, yes. Uh, let's see. Another Several people. Is there anything that can be done to stop Soglin? Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's anything. This is the city 
this is the city of of Madison, and um, clearly, I mean, Soglin has figured out that this is going to appeal to his political base, so we're going to do that. Another text, you know, people aren't going to be satisfied until their racially motivated demands are are met. Um, hmm. Let's see. In relative terms of this, is another text. In relative terms of history, is the destruction of Civil War monuments and sanitizing history to only the politically correct, at least according to Delay's version, any different than destruction of ancient monuments by the Taliban? Uh, yeah, Joe from Plymouth says, didn't the Nazis sanitize history? Yeah, that's kind of a, and again, I, I, I stay away from those sort of analogies, but, but this idea that, well, okay, we're, we're now going to go into graveyards and remove monuments explaining and memorials explaining why it was that 140 people came to be buried in a mass grave because, well, you know, they were Confederate soldiers. It's just, it is disappointing in the extreme. It is political correctness run amok. And again, in my opinion, it's it's just flat, flat offensive. But it's what's going on. And I see this completely different and like I say, the discussion about memorials and ta- statues in town squares. And I hope, I hope the people at Gettysburg and I hope the people at Arlington don't decide to rethink their positions and go the Paul Soglin route where we have to, you know, remove historical references because, gee, somebody might be offended. Channel 6 had this interesting follow-up um, when, when we were broadcasting live from the State Fair, one of the, the stories initially of the fair was the story about the two 28-year-olds from West Dallas who decided that, huh, uh, they thought it would be a good idea to go into the Coliseum, the building at the fair where they have the, the shows, and um, have intercourse on one of the, the benches. I actually went down there. <laughs> I went down there because I was kind of curious about, huh, what was it about this particular location that would have inspired the, these two people to do this? I mean, you know, was there some, I don't know, something that provided romance? And, and candidly, uh, you know, candidly, no. And then, of course, if you see the pictures of them, and I want to be real careful about this because it's unfortunate to judge a book by a cover. But if you wanted to imagine in your mind's eye what two people would look like who were having sex in the Coliseum at the state fair on the benches, these two people look like the two people that you would expect to see doing that. So anyhow, Channel 6 had this interesting follow-up to this. The Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office is reviewing possible charges against the two of them accused of having sex at the Wisconsin State Fair, um, caught on camera. Um, but, but Fox 6 is reporting, the police caught up with them at a West Dallas tavern one day after the alleged incident. So they're they're... They're in a tavern. Courting, um, all right, um, so police apparently is able to identify them, you know, from the the video of the two of them getting it on. So they start looking for them. Um, The couple depicted in the video was identified as a man and a woman from Greenfield who are both 28 years old. I'm sure people in Greenfield are popping their buttons over this. State Fair Police located the couple the day after this incident inside a West Allis tavern. So they go back to drink in West Dallas. Um, all right, they get caught. They attempted to flee when police from State Fair Park in West Dallas arrived on the scene. Both were taken into custody, hiding in the basement of the tavern. So you have these two people cowering in the basement of the tavern. I mean, really? Really? I mean, 
at some point in time, now the DA's office is looking at issuing charges against them. And I, I, you know, yes, obviously you should issue charges against them. But still, really, what kind of people do this? It was the state fair, for goodness sakes. It's 954. This is Jeff Wagner. We have a winner of our Gordon Lightfoot tickets as well. Again, thanks to our promoters for giving us the tickets that we can make available to you. If you didn't win this week, uh, Gordon Lightfoot always puts on a good show. I've seen him a couple times. Buy tickets. Go see him at the Paps Theater on uh, in September. It's 954. This is Jeff Wagner. 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Channel 6 had another report that caught my attention. It, 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 the, the lead-in says it's like they were going grocery shopping. Um, yesterday, Early morning Thursday, August 17th, apparently what happened is there were a bunch of people who went on a robbery spree, according to Milwaukee Alderman Mark Borkowski, uh, between midnight and 3 a.m., this would be yesterday morning, at least 13 garages and cars were broken into between South 38th and South 50th Street and West Manitoba to West Cleveland. Uh, security cameras caught them. Uh, three guys appeared on some guy's surveillance footage early Thursday morning, exiting a vehicle with a driver still inside. They then broke into his elderly neighbor's garage. Now, the guy didn't see this. It was just caught on his security camera. Um, so they saw it afterwards. They cleared her garage out. She she didn't even know what they took. I felt terrible, he says. Turns out this was one of only 13 garage break-ins in the area. Um, the one video camera caught five to six minutes of the burglars in his neighbor's garage. The guy says, a lot, a lot of time. It was almost like they were going grocery shopping. Police say the burglars stole items from garages and from vehicles inside them. Um, uh, the alderman says everybody needs to be more vigilant. A lot of times the side garage door was open. They got in the garage. They can get things in the garage. How many people lock their car in the garage, Right. They think the car is safe. Yeah, I mean, seriously, how many people, when you're in the garage, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily think to lock your car, but um, they do. Um, and this is apparently has been going on and, and on. Um, they're wondering whether it's the same group of people. And, you know, the police are saying, you know, they, they need to, you know, people need to be more vigilant. They need to ask people, they're reminding people to lock their car doors, don't leave valuables in vehicles. I mean, it's a hell of a thing. If you are being told that if your car is in your own garage, that you have to remember to lock your car and remove all the valuables. Now, at some point in time, now I understand that's not necessarily bad advice, I guess, under the circumstances. But at some point in time, aren't we collectively going to say enough is enough? We don't want to live in communities where crime is so rampant that you can't leave your car unlocked in your own garage, for goodness sakes, because you're afraid that somebody is going to come and break in. Maybe the larger solution is getting the people who are doing this off the street for a long period of time. Just saying. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Janie, did you like the... um I, I love the, the headline on that Fox 6 story right before the break. They, these people are breaking into all these garages on the south side. Yes. And, and, the, and the neighbor describes them. It's like they were going shopping. They're just so, they open, they open the door, and apparently they're just, it, it's the middle of the night. They're just standing there Taking going their through. Taking time. It's like, hey, we're at Walmart or whatever. Let's, let's go down aisle number three. And it's, you know. I will say, though, I am one of those people, I lock my car in the garage. In the garage, you really? I am the queen of safety, Jeff. I lock huh. my doors Huh. I, I I lock everything. Huh? Really? I, I guess it's it's never. Um, well, actually, interestingly, I, I can only put one of my two cars in the garage. Um, it's 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 just barely a two car garage, and 
uh, it, it's an attached two car garage. But if I'm going to have any other stuff in the garage, right. I can only get one car in. But and and the car that I put inside, it, the doors automatically lock. It's one of those deals sure. where when you when you leave, so it's automatically taken care of. But I I confess. There was a now I do, but there was a period of time where I would leave the car that's in the driveway. I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, it's in the driveway. I wouldn't necessarily think to lock it, but then it does kind of make sense. If the car is unlocked, you've got the garage door opener in there. Somebody gets in, opens the garage door. Then, you know, then they're in the house, and it's. And you know what I think I, I changed? There was that incident where there was two men in out west. They were uh, in a western suburb. They ended up being shot by a police officer. Remember that fatal right, van crash right. and everything? People, woman was home during the day. She had her doors open. They ran into her house and took her hostage. Right, right. That's when I started locking everything. Yeah, and it's it's a really, it's a sad reflection on, you know, and it, it really, it doesn't matter what kind of neighborhood you live in. I doesn't. Mean, it's just because you, you've, I mean, that that's really what hit home to me with when it gets cold and, and you have these stories about the people who let, let their cars run for a couple minutes in their driveways right. and, and they're gone. And just we're talking about a couple minutes, which tells me that there are just, when it gets cold, roving groups of people who are driving around looking for somebody that's left an unattended car. Because what are the odds that you know you leave your car running for a couple minutes and somebody's going to be there? But you can't do that anymore. It's crimes of opportunity. Um, interesting. Yeah. So I guess, see? Be like Jane Matinair. Lock your car in your garage. Lock everything. Huh. She must have some pretty good stuff at her house. You know? <laughs> she must have some pretty good stuff at her house. No, I mean, it's just, but it is, I'm, I'm struck by it. It's like they were shopping. It is, it is the brazenness of, of the crime that's out there, and it's, unfortunately, it is all over. All right. Um, earlier, it was either early, it was earlier this week, I think. I was telling the story of how I was driving to work one morning and I watched this woman almost get hit by a car. And I'm not sure whose fault it would be, but she wouldn't have even known that she was about to get hit. What what was happening is um, I was going I was going westbound and um, it, it's there, there's a stop sign. So I, I'm going westbound. I'm at the stop sign. I want to make a left turn to go south. All right. Um, the, there's a car on the other side of the street who's going eastbound. He is at a stop sign as well. So we both got stop signs. And then we're turning on to the street that we're going to – he's going to be crossing and I'm going to be turning on to is they, they have the right of way. So, you know, you're waiting for the cars to pass. I'm watching a woman who is walking up the, the street. She's walking north. And the car that was at the stop sign um, – actually, the guy was going to make a turn to go south. So he's starting to make the turn. The woman walks right in front of him. She never, she never looked. Now he had the stop sign. So my guess is that technically, if he would have hit her, he would have been in the wrong. So I mean, I, I think she technically had the right away. But what I was struck because I was watching this thing, she's walking. She is paying no attention to her surroundings at all, and she steps in front of the car. Now again, he he had the stop sign, but she didn't she didn't break stride. She just she's just walking oblivious to to the world. And again, I think probably technically, if he hadn't have been able to slam on the brakes at the very last second and hit her, he he would have been in the wrong. But she walked right in front of him. I mean, she stepped in front of him. Why did she do that? 
And I was watching this whole thing because I saw Because, again, I, I'm waiting to make my left turn. And I'm watching those whole thing. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at this woman who's walking. I'm saying, she's not paying any attention. Why? Because she's got her head buried in her cell phone. She is holding her cell phone with both hands. I don't know if she was texting. What? I, I'm not sure. But, again, because she's on the other side of the street. But I'm watching her completely oblivious to her surroundings, and, and she crosses the street. Now, again, like I say, she might have had the right of way, but but nevertheless, if you're a pedestrian and you step out into a street, even if you've got the right of way, you know, it, you, if you get hit by a car, you're going to lose this battle. Now, now, thankfully, the car that was making the right turn, I think, kind of saw her at the last minute, hit the brakes, um, and she just continues to go. But she was absolutely oblivious because she had her head buried in the cell phone. She's paying no attention at all. And ever since that happened, I, I've been, I swear, I think, and I, look, I'm all in favor of walking. I think it's a great way for exercise and things like that. And I understand that, you know, a lot of people, you're listening to your music or whatever. But I am just amazed. Do this little experiment if you have it. Drive around, you know, your neighborhood. And my guess is you will see exactly what I am talking about. You will see person after person walking, texting while they're walking, head buried in their cell phone, um, not paying any attention at all to their surroundings. Now, I bring this up because um, Stamford, Connecticut, which is a eh, it's outside of New York where it is, but it kind of a, a, a well-heeled neighborhood. They are um, apparently there is a proposal that they are advancing, which would make them one. If they do this, they're going to be one of the first communities in the country to do it. But it's an idea that a lot of people think is going to spread. They are essentially considering outlawing distracted walking. We have you know laws right now that, that punish you if something happens and you're distracted driving. You know we have laws that say you can't text while you're driving. For example. And um, what they are finding is that there's all these people. It's a walkable community. There's all these people that are walking. They're looking down at their phones, and then they notice that there's cars, you know, coming right at them. So they're considering making a law that would say texting or even talking on an electronic device while you're walking, you know, if it is causing you to be distracted, you know, might might be made illegal. Um, one of the city representatives says these people are walking around. They're oblivious to cars. Um, the, apparently the ordinance, which is modeled after one that they approved in Honolulu late last month, would carry a $30 fine if you get caught in the act. Um, nationwide last year, pedestrian fatalities jumped about 11%, about 6,000 people, you know, killed, you know, walking. And not all of them are killed due to distracted walking, but more and more what they're finding is it's it's people, particularly young people, walking and staring at their phones. They estimate that, get this, there's five teenage pedestrian deaths every week. Five teenage pedestrian deaths every week. And again, not all of that is this distracted walking. But if they're trying to figure out, you know, what the big thing is, they think that this is it. It's people that are just oblivious. You're looking at your cell phone, and next thing you know, you step out into traffic. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. 
I, I know in some respects it kind of sounds silly, and I'm not this big sort of government guy, and I don't know if a 30 or a 50 or a $100 fine is enough to deter it. But you know what? I, I think you need to do something because the, the amount of people just kind of wandering around, again, in their own world, I, I am old enough to remember the instructions were before you cross the street, you look both ways. Well, that's not what happens nowadays anymore. People just, they're looking at their hands, they're looking at their phones, and they're stepping out in traffic. So, should there be a law? 414-799-1620. I I don't see a harm with it. I I, I really don't. Sometimes, you know, you have to protect people from themselves. And i got to think about how you necessarily make it work. Um, Am I saying that you shouldn't be able to walk and talk on your cell phone? No, not necessarily. But at the same time, I do think you need to pay attention, and people don't. Okay, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. More than a dozen dead and dozens more injured yesterday in the tourism hotspot of Barcelona. John McCure has the latest from Spain beginning at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. He's up in Kiwaskam on the We Love Wisconsin tour. Actually, in the small world capacity, my fiance's sister's son-in-law happens to own that restaurant. So I'm going to go up and say hi to John and kind of hang out with my soon-to-be new family this afternoon later on. So stop by, say hi if you're in the area. 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 is the number. Bob in West Dallas. Bob, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um, I, well, I agree with what you say. I um, recently was traveling up uh, uh, Greenfield Avenue West during State Fair, and I was in a downtown area, West Dallas, and I actually saw a guy um, that walked in front of my car, <laughs> uh, but then he it wasn't paying attention, and he almost walked in front of an oncoming county bus. <laughs> Yeah. He was going to cross the yellow line and walk into the, the eastbound lane, and I happened to have my window down, and I yelled, hey, watch out for the bus. Right. And the guy woke up, and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I should do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're walking across a busy street. There are cars. Yeah, but it, it is, it's that complete cluelessness that's out there. They're just, you're not even aware of your surroundings, not even aware, oh, I'm getting ready to walk into the street off a sidewalk or something. Yeah, absolutely. I've always taught my kids who are growing up now, but I taught them, do not make yourself uh, into a, uh, a victim yeah. by not paying attention to where you're going. You know, do not be on your phone, on your iPod, whatever, when you're walking. Um, right. Just open yourself up to being a victim. You, you do. I mean, thanks for calling. Right? And it, I, guess, and it's, I guess it's one thing if, hey, you, if you want to go... Uh, if you're if you're in a county park or something, or you're on some trail or whatever, but if you're walking on urban streets, and it, it is, it's kind of like this collective cluelessness. And if you don't think it's going on, and thanks for the call, Bob. If you don't think it's going on, I mean, I don't know how else to explain the dramatic increase in pedestrian fatalities. I mean, eleven percent in the last year. That's that's an awful lot. Mary Angela sends me a text. I was downtown delivering flowers. I just almost hit a pedestrian who was on the, the phone. Um, yes. Um, let's see. Jeff and Appleton said, I agree with the concept of the law, but the trouble lies in enforcement and writing the law so it isn't open to interpretation or infringing on rights. I, and again, I, I understand that that's a difficult sort of thing because I don't want to I don't think that you should necessarily say, gee, you can't talk on the phone when you're out walking around. But this whole idea of distracted walking, you know, when you just, again, don't stop at the intersection, step out into traffic. 
those type of things, it, it's a it's a safety hazard. Paul in Zion. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. I, I was just, as I told your screener, down at Great Lakes, and every military base I've ever been on, they've always had some form of this. At Great Lakes, you cannot make a call on your phone if you're walking. Really? You have to, yes, you have to be standing still. I've seen people do it, but I've also seen them, uh, I've seen the MPs take them off. Really? And, and Oh, yeah. It's been like that for years. And when we were stationed in Europe, where they had cell phones long before we did, uh, that was on Ramstein Air Base back in the mid-90s. Same rule. And, and the idea is, again, just to, to stop people from getting hit by by traffic, huh? Well, well rumor has it that uh, somebody walked out in front of the Admiral or drove or <laughs> right. while he was on the bicycle, and that's that was the rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but I could see why that rule got set in place really hard in one day. Right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right. No, no, I get it. But still, it's, it's, I mean, thanks to call, Paul. It's good policy. Matter of fact, Patrick texts me and says the same thing. Military bases have banned distracted walking for years. I, I love it. Yeah. Let's talk to Tom, who's calling us from Hawaii. Tom, good morning. Yeah, vacationing up here in wonderful Wisconsin. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, when they uh, passed the law, I really was thought it was a government overreaching. But then I had a friend that was killed in the right-of-way. She had the walk crosswalk, and she was looking down at her phone. If she would have been paying attention, she would have saw the guy run the red light. Mm. So, mm. you know, it's it's just, uh, yeah, and that happens quite a bit in Hawaii. That's why they have to enact the law. Because tourists aren't paying attention driving, and tourists aren't paying attention walking. Right, you're, you're walking around. You're walking around Honolulu, looking at all the great sights and stuff like that. Next thing you know, you've wandered out into the street. Right, right. And just having a law, it just gives people attention. It's not so much about the enforcement; it's about people paying. You know, look, right. this is what we got. This law, you need to pay attention because the tourists are driving. I'm really looking out for you. Right. Okay, so, I, I got to ask yeah. this. How do you, how do you happen to come from Hawaii to Wisconsin for vacation? You got family here? Uh, I grew Yeah, I grew up here. Oh, okay. So it's good to be back. <laughs> good. Yeah, I well, love it. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's good to have you back. Thanks for calling. Yeah. I appreciate. It. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, Honolulu is one of the first communities across the 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 country that that had, had passed this distracted walking thing. And you can you can see, I mean, he Tom makes absolute sense. I mean, you're you're in this resort area, you know, and everybody's wandering around Hawaii going, "My god, this is just this is beautiful." I mean, downtown Honolulu, for example, I mean, Honolulu is like any it's any big kind of warm weather city, but I can imagine people looking around, "Oh, this is Hawaii. This is great. Mm. I've just walked out into traffic. Carol in Brookfield. Carol, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yes. I'm glad you're talking about this particular subject. I live in Brookfield. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm driving down the street, there are people walking with their backs toward the traffic. Okay. Sometimes they're, they're looking at their cell phones. Right. Sometimes they have a dog on a leash with their baby strollers. (laughs) Right. And I'm getting to the point, I'm glad you're discussing this, because we don't have sidewalks. Right. But I don't understand why people are so arrogant and think that everyone's such a a good driver. There are goofy drivers Mm -hmm. all over the place. Well, we're... And it especially, especially like in the fall and the spring where it gets dark so early and yeah. in the fall where you have leaves that are kind of by the side of the road. I mean, there's, 
I, I, what always amazes me, Carol, is sometimes people go out at that point and, and they're wearing dark clothing. You know, they're not wearing the reflected clothing and they're trying to walk their dogs. And I'm thinking, my, my, my gosh, and some of these some of these communities where you don't even have street lights and it's just dark and it's six o'clock at night. It's like, folks, what are you thinking of when you're going out like that? Well, Jeff, when I remember we were taught as children, I was taught as a child, face the traffic so you can tell who's going to come at you and hit you. And these people, you know, even a car has to have a rear mirror. Right. Or a side mirror. No, right, right. You know, some reflective clothing or something. Yeah, now, now thanks to the call. Now, getting a couple texts saying, okay, well, you're talking about Wagner, you're talking about wanting to bubble wrap people, and, you know, you, 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 you can't protect people from themselves. Well, okay, yes and, yes and no. I think you do. I think some of the purpose of some of these, it's like we have the distracted driving law. You know, I mean, the idea being that, yes, we, we want to we want to try to discourage people from doing things that are going to cause harm to themselves and others. Now, in the distracted walking situation, yes, I understand the purpose of this would essentially be to stop you from, or at least try to discourage you from walking out into traffic and hurting yourself. It is... A $30 fine or a $50 fine or a $100 fine, is that automatically enough to stop, that's going to stop this all around? No, no. But at the same time, is it really that bad an idea? It's 1028. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, the Foxconn bill passes with only three Democrats voting for it, none of them from the Milwaukee area. What does that mean moving forward? It's 1028. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it time for government to get out of the butter debate here in Wisconsin? Another legal battle is brewing over the type of butter that can or cannot be sold here in the state. Scafidi and Billstead have the details today at 135. To me, that court case, the issue is, is the butter law unconstitutional or is it just stupid? <laughs> that's, that's what's actually got to be decided. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers are right behind the Cubs in the National League Central race, but a lengthy road trip looms. Greg Matzik is optimistic they'll return in great shape, and he'll explain why. That's tonight on Sports Central at 607. Now, that I, I hope Greg is right. This actually, we will know more about where the Brewer season is in, in 10 days. Um, the last road, the last lengthy road trip they went on was a disaster with two and eight. Um, this one is to the West Coast, so it's chal- – well, it starts off in Colorado tonight. Three games in Colorado who are – against Colorado who are, like, leading for the wild card. Then you go to San Francisco, um, three games against San Francisco, and San Francisco is a very good team that happens to be having a dumpster fire of the season. Then they go down to Los Angeles. They play the Dodgers, who are are on a pace to have one of the best seasons ever. So, I mean, it's it's a tough nine games. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. So BD, who's producing the show today and always, what do you think? How many to be in contention when they come home off the road trip? How many games of the nine do you think they have to win? Well, they're only playing nine, so they can't win six out of ten. You think they have to do, you think they have to win five out of nine. So go, they have to go five and four. Um, 
which would probably more likely, if they're going to do it, meaning that they win two games in Colorado, two games in San Francisco, and steal a game in Los Angeles, five and four. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think if they, you know, with 40-some games left, and if, and again, it, it kind of it depends on what the Cardinals and the Cubs do, but right now they, they have relatively weak schedules for the next 10 days. If the Brewers go off and they turn in another two and seven road trip, um, I mean, stick a fork in the season. It, it's done. Now, they had a great season. As I, I'm, I'm not being an apologist for them, but I mean, I think I remember when we were doing the opening day show, you know, if we were sitting there and we were talking to the general manager, we were talking to the owner, and we said, hey, you know, Mark, if if by the middle of August the Brewers are a game out of first place and they're four games over 500, would you be happy? And I think everybody would have said, yeah, we'd, we'd be thrilled by that. So uh, you, you want to you want to have it all in perspective, but now that they are in the pennant race, you hope they can figure it out. I, I agree. I think they need to go five and four or six and three um, to not have played themselves out. Um, again, it depends on what other teams are doing, but you, you, you can't have another one of these, you know, two and seven or three and six road trips. You just can't do that. So, but that's the great thing. Um, we're going to find out. You know, that's the great thing about sports. There are winners and losers, and and we'll know. And, again, uh, our broadcasts uh, this evening, so you can hear all the Brewers games here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. All right. As as I've been saying for days, the, the, the Foxconn bill is going to pass. There really isn't any mystery about that. That the mystery is going to be what what is the ultimate form. But but basically, the, the Foxconn proposal advanced as advanced by Governor Walker, it, it is going to pass. You have overwhelming Republican majorities in the state assembly and the state senate. It, it's going to pass. I don't exactly know what the form, the final form, is going to be. Yesterday, the state assembly overwhelmingly passed it, fifty nine to thirty. We'll talk about the makeup of the vote in just a minute. It now goes to the state Senate and to the legislative, to the to the uh, the Joint Finance Committee, where they'll, they'll hammer out differences. And ultimately, what happened? My guess is what's going to happen is the version that was passed by the Assembly yesterday is going to get tweaked. It, it's it's going to be essentially the same bill, but there'll be some adjustments one way or the other. Maybe hopefully to make it an even a better bill. Senate's going to pass it. Then it goes back to the assembly to be passed again. So there's a couple more steps that have to be done. But in the next couple of weeks, it, it's going to pass. I'm a big believer in the Foxconn bill. I, I am. I think it is going to be transformative. But I understand that there are some risks that are involved. And maybe five or 10 or 15 years from now, people are going to be saying, I told you so. It turned out to be a debacle. I don't think so. But again, there, there are some risks that are involved. I was watching the vote yesterday. Because not so much what was the outcome. The outcome was pretty much predetermined. But I was curious as to who was voting for this. So what happened, again, it passed 59 to 30 in the, uh, it passed 59 to 30 in the assembly. Um, Of the votes for it, uh, there were only three Democrats only three Democrats who voted for the bill. Um, one was a state representative out of Racine, and two state representatives, including Peter Barca, who's the Assembly Minority Leader, from Kenosha. So the three three of the Assembly people from the area where presumably the, the thing is going to be built, they voted for it. 
because even with Walker derangement syndrome, you know, at fever pitch, they recognize that, okay, this this is going to be good for our constituents. What and then two Republicans voted against it, and their justification was they said, "I don't. There's, there's not enough information about here that that tells us, you know, where where the jobs are going to be, or something like that." Fine, but only three Democrats voted for it. What I thought was extremely interesting is not a single Democrat in the assembly from Milwaukee voted for the bill. Now, the city of Milwaukee, in particular. While the state is doing pretty darn well, the city of Milwaukee in particular has economic problems. There are high rates of poverty in some of the zip codes. There are high rates of unemployment in some of the zip codes. What we have been hearing for years and years and years is that we need to figure out a way to find jobs for people who are living in the inner city of Milwaukee or the city in general. That is why, to his credit, I think Tom Barrett, you know, he he has embraced the notion of Foxconn because he recognizes that, yeah, I mean, Foxconn is going to either be built in Racine or Kenosha County. That's the reality. But I think Barrett, to his credit, recognizes that this is going to provide opportunities for people in Milwaukee County and in the city of Milwaukee to, to get jobs. Maybe some of them don't have the training that they can go and they can be the assemblers that are putting together the, um, you know, the, the, the actual the screens or whatever. But there, there's going to be all sorts of other jobs that are kind of are going to come forward. But yet, despite this, not a single Democrat from Milwaukee, not one, voted for this legislation, which if it works, will have the effect of providing job opportunities, opening thousands of jobs, not just the Foxconn jobs, but again, all the other support type of jobs that might come into play. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit, I guess I am not surprised, but disappointed that given what this... Look, I understand if you're a Democrat in Eau Claire, or in Bayfield County, you know, and and you uh, again, you don't. This isn't going to help my constituents. My the folks from Eau Claire aren't going to be traveling down to Racine County to work at Foxconn. So I mean, all right, I could understand. Then it's easy to be opposed to it. But how can you be a Milwaukee State Assembly person dealing with high poverty and high unemployment in your districts? and not support something that has the potential to create thousands of jobs within 10 miles or 15 miles of where your constituents are. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this was just a very, it was a disappointing example of partisan politics that you have no Democrats from Milwaukee who would support this particular proposal. And I think these are going to be chickens coming home to roost. Instead of trying to say, hey, let's let's embrace this and let's figure out a way, hey, maybe we can put a clause in here which, you know, increases bus transportation or, or something like that to help, you know, reach out to, for example, the inner city of Milwaukee to figure out a way that we can bring people, you know, to and from the jobs. They voted no. What what a ridiculous position that I think 
has the potential to come back and haunt them because when this plant is operating and you have some of these state representatives who are saying, gee, why aren't people from my districts getting hired? Well, maybe this vote is going to be indicative of that. 4147, I was stunned, stunned that no Milwaukee Democrats voted for this. I mean, even Peter Barca recognized that this was going to be good for his constituents. Larry in Milwaukee. Larry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. How you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. Well, I was calling because I, I am not a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. and I am a Democrat, lifetime Democrat. But I think this here, I think they missed the boat on this, and this is ridiculous The Democrats didn't vote for this, and this is definitely going to help the city of Milwaukee. Uh, I am definitely not in agreement with that. Yeah, I mean, right. what the discussion should have been, not is are we going to vote for it, but it's, okay, how can we get our piece of this? <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how can how can we take some of the, the people that are living in some of the most economically disadvantaged areas of the community, and how can we get them to these jobs, you know, 15 or 20 miles away, uh, instead of saying, no, we're going we're gonna to just shoot this thing down? I am totally in agreement with you in that, because this is, I mean... This is ridiculous for me to hear this. Yeah, not, not a not a single not a single Democrat who represents Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee voted for this. Not one. Even if Milwaukee can get five hundred jobs out of there, you know what that's going to do? Yeah, this is crazy. This is crazy. No, it, it is. Thank and it, it, it's the worst of politics. It's just the example. It's the worst of partisan politics. And again, I, I I'm not surprised that some Democrats voted for it. But look at the people. It was the guy, in, uh, two guys in Kenosha, one in Racine, or vice versa, who knew that this was going to be good for their constituents but nobody in milwaukee decided to step forward and and do this again maybe it's a free and it's an easy vote if you live in superior like i say and you want to vote against it but in milwaukee you know you're you're turning down an opportunity that's going to have what thousands of jobs maybe tens of thousands of jobs move into the adjacent county my goodness gracious, at some point in time, you want to say to these people, can't you put aside partisanship for just a couple minutes and do the right thing for your community? Kevin and Racine. Kevin, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, it's just not the jobs that the plant will create. What about the construction of? There's a lot of places yep. out of Madison, out of Milwaukee, that would be involved in the construction, electrical, concrete, steel, yep. iron, all that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know it's interesting that you bring that up because that's that's a freebie. I mean, Foxconn in building the facility, they're committed to spending somewhere in the neighborhood of ten b as in billion dollars to build the facility. That's not talking about jobs. That's just money that they're going to spend. And to your point, that they, they say that they think six to seven billion of that is going to be spent on Wisconsin contractors. Exactly what you're talking about. Hiring the people to do the work and the concrete and all that. Those are those are jobs. That's money that you know they're going to spend. And you would think that some of these Democrats would be saying, hey, I want to figure out a way to get them to hire people from Milwaukee and contractors from Milwaukee who go down and do that work. I mean, right? That just makes sense to me. Yeah, along with the housing that may be needed and anything else that will bring in the income. So I yeah, I don't understand it. No, th- well, I mean, I, under- I understand it. 
I mean, I, I understand it because it's, gee, we're coming into an election year, and, you know, we, we hate Scott Walker, and we want to try to defeat Scott Walker, and, you know, we don't want him to get credit for this. So we are essentially willing to sell out our constituents, and that is precisely what you did. The Democrats in the state assembly, and we'll name names at some point in time, you decided to sell out your constituents, many of whom need jobs desperately, need ways out of poverty, need ways to get off the dole. This And it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. But you made the decision to sell out your constituents in the name of partisan politics. And I I understand maybe you don't feel that you're going to be held accountable. But when you try to come to the table and say, gee, I I wonder why they're not doing more outreach to try to bring people, say, from the city of Milwaukee, you know, down to Racine or Kenosha or wherever this plant ultimately gets built. Just remember that these are the same politicians who didn't support this in the first place it's it's just it's short-sighted it is political pandering and it's just at some point in time you get frustrated you want to say look i understand there's a lot of politics going around but particularly if you were a milwaukee democrat you should be jumping on board this and instead of instead of throwing stones you should be hoping against hope that it works because this will benefit your constituents it's 10:50. this is jeff wagner It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Thanks for spending your Friday morning with us. Um, is it time for government to get out of the butter debate here in Wisconsin? Another legal battle is brewing over the type of butter that can or cannot be sold here in the state. Scafidi and Bill Stett have the details today at 135. BDU is producing the show. Do you know what this butter debate is all about? You do not. All right. Here, here's here's kind of the nutshell uh, of this. Um, there's, there's butter that is produced in Ireland, that, that people like. One, one of the brands is a stuff called Kerrygold. Um, Wisconsin is the only state in the country that does not allow Irish butter like this to be sold. Because what happens is Wisconsin has a law that goes back to the 1930s that was designed to protect the dairy industry that says that any butter that's sold in the United, in Wisconsin has to be graded. You see like A and double A and triple A. All right. Um, the Irish butter is it's graded in Ireland. I mean, and then they import it. But because it's not graded in Wisconsin, it can't be sold. Now we are the only state that that has this law. The law says either the federal government has to grade it or Wisconsin has to grade it. We are the only state that has this law, and it, it's not about safety. Nobody argues this stuff. This stuff is before it's imported, it's graded in Ireland. But it, it's designed, and it goes back to the 1930s. This law that's designed. It was a protectionist thing, like so many of other laws that are out there, designed to try to again protect the dairy industry, kind of like the minimum markup law that we've talked about before. So what's happened is you've got lots of people that want to buy like this, this, this Kerrygold Irish butter. And what happens is you've got to drive to Illinois to buy this stuff. Now, I, I've never had it. I don't take any position one way or the other on it, except to say that if, if this butter that is coming in from Ireland is safe enough for people to eat in the 49 other states without having to be specifically graded, it should be safe enough for us in Wisconsin to eat. I mean, um, the law is stupid. 
Now, there's a, a lawsuit that's been filed by our friends with the Wisconsin um, Institute for Law and Liberty who are, are challenging the constitutionality of this law, essentially arguing that there's no rational basis behind it. And that lawsuit is going on in Ozaki County. I take no position on the lawsuit. I mean, I... I don't. The law has been on the books since the 1930s. I, I don't know if the law is unconstitutional for no rational basis. I, I don't. I don't know. I do know the law is stupid. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a dumb law that um, it shouldn't really take a loss. Candidly, I don't think it should take a lawsuit. This is something that the legislature should take a look at and recognize if there really was any purpose of behind this law back in the 1930s. You know, if we really did need to pass this butter grading thing to protect the consumers from, you know, um, from bad butter, if there was really a purpose for it in 1930, that purpose no longer exists in 2017. So are you familiar, uh, BD, with the whole idea that the oleo runs and stuff? Okay, see, this is, this is another part of Wisconsin history. It, it used to be that you couldn't sell colored margarine in um, Wisconsin. And so what people would do is they, this is back in the day, they would drive across the border into Illinois to buy the colored margarine and then bring this back. Now, that, that has subsequently changed. But this is this is like the modern-day equivalent of the oleo runs. I, I Again, I, I don't know that I've ever had this Irish butter. I'm not sure that it, I don't, I try, I don't eat that much butter anyways, and I certainly wouldn't drive down to Illinois to buy it. But at the same time, if it's good enough for 49 other states, this is a law that definitely, definitely, definitely should be changed. Okay, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, um, including a state senator from Missouri who said some very interesting things about the president. If some other legislator had said the similar thing about Barack Obama, I'm thinking that the reaction might be a little different. We're going to discuss when we come back. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. There is an elected representative. Her name is Maria Chappell Nadal. She's a state senator in Missouri. Uh, not Not a congresswoman, not a U.S. senator, a state senator. So think... Leah Vukmir, or Lena Taylor, or Alberta Darling. Sorry, I don't mean to lump you and give you in with that, but that's that's just to give people the idea that she is a state senator. She represents an, an area. She represents the Ferguson area. Remember, there's all the problems in in Ferguson. She is African American. She um, two days ago goes on her personal Facebook page um, and posts a comment um, about how she. She just she hates President Trump. That's essentially what what she said. Um, she's and this is of course brought about by the the ongoing controversy involving Trump's remarks about Charlottesville. So she goes on, posts something on her personal Facebook page. Now she's an elected state senator talking about she she how much she just despises Trump. A number of people then start responding. For example, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the exchange. One of her constituent says, Maria, I wonder what my cousin is thinking now. He's on Trump's Secret Service detail. You have to sign up for six years. He did his first four with Obama, and he has two to go with this idiot. This is what the poster says. But what I posted earlier, I truly believe will happen sooner, not later. I'm not sure what that is. Then he says, damn, now I'll probably get a visit from the Secret Service, to which 
Maria Chappelle Nadal, state senator from Missouri, says, no, I, the guy says, I, I'll we'll probably get a visit from the Secret Service. She says, no, I will. I hope Trump is assassinated. No, I will. I hope Trump is assassinated. So as soon as she says, writes that, of course, th- this whole thing goes goes viral. And uh, she immediately tries to take it down. But, of course, as we know, with the Internet, the stuff is out there forever, and people have screen captures of this. So she tries to take it down. But, you know, she's already written and posted that she hopes the president is assassinated. Um when she is asked about this, she says she posted the comment out of frustration with the uh, with uh, the trauma and despair the president is causing. She says the way I responded this morning was wrong. I'm frustrated that I mean the statement. No, am I frustrated? Absolutely. The president is causing damage. He's causing hate. So this is the woman that posts the statement saying that she hopes the president is assassinated. Um, she says, it was wrong for me to post that, but I am not going to shy away from the damage this president is causing. All right. In response, there has been pretty much universal you know, condemnation. Uh, the U.S. senator, the Democrat senator from the state, Claire McCaskill, calling on her to um, resign, saying the comment is outrageous. The congressman who represents that area says that uh, calling for the assassination of the president is a federal crime. He said she is an embarrassment to our state. Um, The Missouri Democratic Party chairman um, issues a statement saying um, she should be ashamed of herself for adding her voice to this toxic environment. For her part, um, she says that she has no intention of stepping down. She says, um, I think Trump's comments about Charlottesville make it easier for racists to be racists. As long as I have a voice, I'm going to talk about the damage he's causing. I am not resigning. When people of color are respected by this White House and they are willing to do real work, I'll sit down with them. People are traumatized. So she says, I'm not going anywhere. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here you have an elected official who takes to social media and writes, I hope Trump is assassinated. Now, the Secret Service is looking at this. My, my guess is that nothing's going to happen from that perspective. Um, but the, the question becomes, you know, what passes for political discourse? She is refusing to resign, having made this statement. My guess is that if this were a politician three years ago, who called for Barack Obama to be assassinated, that politician would be run out of office on a rail. So should she resign for making this post that she now subsequently says, well, I'm not resigning. She said, I just I I, I took this. I took this down. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, is this the type of thing which should be immediately disqualifying? Um, she says she actually didn't wish harm to come to Trump, but I, I wrote it out of frustration. She says, I didn't mean what I put up. Absolutely not. To which I would ask, 
What the heck does that mean? I didn't mean what I put up. Absolutely not. It's not. There are times that all of us misspeak or do not choose our words carefully. Believe me, I understand that. Um, when you do a spoken word radio show, there's all sorts of things. You say, maybe I should have phrased that that better. Or I should have thought that I should have said that differently. But um, she wrote, no, I will be investigated by the Secret Service. I hope Trump is assassinated. She says, I didn't mean what I put up. Absolutely not. Huh? All right. Should she resign? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1115. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11-17, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, just one game back of the division-leading Cubs. The Brewers embark on a very tough West Coast road trip. It starts this evening in Denver as they take on the Rockies. Jeff and Lane are live from Coors Field at 7.05, sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. Oh, look, I, I understand that there, there's a lot of political invective that goes on. I understand that politicians say and do sometimes stupid things. I do still believe that there are certain lines that you do not cross. We're talking about the story yesterday about the state representative out of Missouri, state senator out of Missouri, who takes to, it's her personal Facebook page, but she's interacting with constituents, and um, she writes, I hope Trump is assassinated. Well, I think right after she puts that out there, she realizes she has perhaps crossed the line, and she tries to back off of that. She takes it down, but, of course, it's out there. Her explanation is, I didn't mean what I put up. Absolutely not, which I don't even understand what that means. I didn't mean what I put up. When I wrote, I hope Trump is assassinated, I didn't mean that? Huh. Um... There are calls from both Republicans and Democrats for her to resign. She's, again, sort of playing the victim card. Well, Trump is so terrible. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm staying here. Um, I have no intention of resigning. He's against people of color. They're not respecting. This White House doesn't respect people of color. Um, so... I, again, I guess the attitude is sort of like, I'm going to go on the offensive. 414-799-1620, of course she should be gone. Of course she should be gone. Let's talk to Gary in Germantown. Gary, good morning. Morning. What do you think? I think she should be gone and she should be arrested. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, again, I, I don't know enough about the the threat type of law, well, you know, but but still, but definitely, I mean, there, there are lines, and I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, there are lines as a politician that I you just don't cross, and saying that you think that the... That you know, you hope that the president is assassinated. I mean, what yeah. sort of person thinks that way? Well, I don't know. Would you have a job if you said that on your show? No, <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I no, thank, no, I, no, I think I, I guarantee it. I mean, I mean, I, I, I guarantee that you know, if if you and and of course, I, it's it's really telling to me the fact that she posts this. And then I, I, she must have gotten immediate blowback. And so then all of a sudden it's, I'm going to take it down. But then the, the response now is to kind of dig in your heels. I'm not going to resign. I'm, I'm here. It, it, it's Trump is this awful. It's kind of like when you're wrong, be strong. Trump is so awful, so I'm going to stand up for people of color and things like that. Okay, well, the truth of the matter is that, you know, if you want to talk about the hatreds and hatred and divisions in this country. You you don't do anything to make it better by posting notes saying that you hope the president of the United States is assassinated. Not that I hope he's impeached, not that I would support his impeachment, not that he's this horrible racist, but but you hope he is assassinated. Really? 
Chuck on the south side. Chuck, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, uh, I was talking to you. I said, guy there. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I have never done, never voted for him. But on this cause, this woman should be gone automatically. I don't care what politician is in there. If you threaten a politician for any cause for an assassination, she's gone. There should be no talk about it. They should just get rid of her. Well, I mean, right, I mean, th- thanks. I mean, she, she can be sent, but she, uh, unless they start, I mean, I don't know what the provisions for removing somebody from office is in, in Missouri. I don't know if they have a recall law. Don't know if, but, but at the same time, you would think if she had any sense of, of decency, um, you should, any sense of, of decency, you know, what she, you know, what you would do is you would just, you would resign because th- this is, there are certain lines that I just don't think you should cross. And she crossed one. And again, one of the things that is a little bit heartening is you see that there is bipartisan condemnation. I mean, you have, again, the head of the Missouri Democratic Party. You have the congressman from the area. You have the senator from the area all saying that this is not constructive. And, and yeah, you, you, you need, you need to go. Look, I understand that lots of criticism can be over the top. I get all that, and I think you know there's a lot of stuff that you kind of take with a grain of salt and you roll your eyes. But there is a line, and, and using, you know, calling for the the assassination of the leader of the free world, of the president of the United States. You can be a Trump hater. I get that, and there's all sorts of things you can say. But to be in public office and to knowingly and intentionally call for or say, I hope he is assassinated, to me that crosses any sort of line of decency. Uh, John in South Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Well, well, thank you. What do you think about all this? I, I think things are just getting out of control. Um, the There's such a hatred for Trump, and you know, he is kind of an unfiltered person. Yep. But I, I don't think he deliberately intends ill will towards anybody, you know. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know what's in his heart one way or the other. And I understand he brings a lot of criticism on himself, but that's different than saying, I hope the President of the United States is murdered, you know. That's uh, horrible. It's horrible. I, I never would have would have uh, wanted uh, Barack Obama to be assassinated or any other well, president. No, it's it, just sad. Exactly right. I mean, thanks. Right, you, right. You, you, thanks. If you want to say, I think he is disastrous. I think this last thing he said is over the line. I, I think he deserves to be impeached. Oh, okay, fine. I mean, you, you, you can think that. You can argue that. You know, I, you know, I hope he's removed from office. But that's not what she said. She hopes. I hope Trump is assassinated. And she continues to serve, at least as of today, as a representative, an elected representative of people in Missouri. Wow. It's 1126. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it time for government to get out of the butter debate here in Wisconsin? Another legal battle is brewing over the type of butter that can or cannot be sold here in the state. Scafidi and Billstead have the details today at 135. I, I wanted to weigh in. We've got the weekend review coming up in just a couple minutes. Before we get to that point, I, I, um, I, I, I wanted to, well, let's see. Let me, let me share a couple of our texts on the, uh, let me share a couple of the texts that we've received on the last couple of things. Well, 
um, let's see here. I was absolutely opposed to President Obama and his agenda in office. But as much as I didn't like him, I never wanted to have him killed. No one should have their life threatened or taken just because you hate them or disagree with them. Once again, the tolerance of the usual suspects is showing. Um, yeah, I think there, there's a lot to that. And the idea that this uh, state representative obviously believes that she can ride this out because um, her constituents apparently aren't going to hold her accountable for it. Well, maybe it's true, but it would be disappointing. Hey, before uh, we start the Week in Review, I did want to mention, I, I want to mention a story that the, that the Journal Sentinel had. It involves um, State Representative Joel Clayfish, and I, I just... I, I think it, it's some look. I, I understand that sometimes you you write stories for the sake of writing stories, but there there needs to be kind of a common sense approach to this. If you're elected official, an elected official, you get asked, or a public figure, you get asked to go give speeches all the time. That, that that's what happens. You get these requests. Take. Hey, would you come in? Would you you do this? And if you're in politics. Uh, a lot of times, you know, what will happen is you'll have a friend who says, hey, w- would you like to speak to my group? We want to speak to this particular group. And a lot of times you don't need to vet the groups. It, it's the Kiwanis Club or it's the Lions Club or, or whatever. When I first started here at TMJ, I used to do lots and lots of speeches. Don't do so much anymore. But I would I'd be I'd, Lions Club, Kiwanis Club, you know, you, know you, you name Rotary Clubs, all those different types of things. And you just say, sure, you, you get the thing and you accept it and you go on. Um, Joel Clayfish has apparently a buddy who asks him to speak to this th- this group. Um, the, the group is is the Three Percenters, and I, I I'd never heard of this group before. So you know it's, it's a group of guys. So he goes out and he gives this speech. Well, okay, like the local Three Percenter Club, it's it, it's being billed as an, an anti-government group. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if it's so much anti-government, if it's small government or 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 whatever. Um, you know, the, the group is, I guess, according to its website, uh, the group pledges resistance to the U.S. government for infringing on citizens' constitutional rights, including their right to bear arms. So I think it's like a pro-gun type of group, but I, I don't know that much about the three percenters. Anyhow, um, so Clayfish goes out and gives this speech to this group, and now it's this big, he says, I didn't know anything about the group. A buddy of mine asked me if I'd speak to him. I spoke to him. We had a discussion about constitutional issues and things like that. We didn't talk about violence, any of this stuff. And now Clayfish is getting all sorts of heat for speaking to this anti-government group. I, I guess I, I kind of look at this and say, all right, well, first of all, I mean, is this local group really urging, for example, violent overthrow of the government? Or it is a bunch of guys that get together and talk about, you know, conservative issues and talk about their gun concerns and things like that. I, I don't I don't get the sense that at least this particular the people that showed up at this particular meeting that were listening to Representative Clayfish speak, I, I don't get the idea that they were promoting armed insurrection of the United States or anything like that. Um, I, I also will take the representative his word saying, I, all I know is I got this invitation to speak to this group. I gave, I kind of gave my standard speech. You know, we had a, a decent discussion about this type of thing. Um, I, I think in today's hypersensitive day and age, obviously, I think politicians have to vet whom they appear uh, in front of, you know, more carefully. But having said that, I mean, I, I don't know that this is disqualifying. and I certainly didn't get the idea that Clayfish said anything to the group, which would be, I don't know, something that would disqualify him either. 
you know, he's taken some heat from it. But my guess is this is going to be kind of a tempest in a teapot. It's 11.35. This is Jeff Wagner. It is the Week in Review. All right. We are joined, as always, by Susie Falk from the Falk Group PR. Hello. Good morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good Hello. morning to you. Um, we are back after a couple of weeks at the State Fair. You ladies aren't used to not having people coming up and just kind of like staring at you through the windows, huh? It's Aww. a lot more intimidating than it sounds like. There were people that were so much fun. Yeah. 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 That's it. But... But, 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 even though, you know, people can't come and stare at you live, um, we are now back on Facebook. So we are live streaming the Week in Review. If you go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can see us all in the studio. So that's good. All right. It has been quite a week. <laughs> that's Susie waving well, for the I mean, camera. There, absolutely. There, that's it. Okay. It has been quite a, a week. Um, Charlottesville has, of course, dominated the story to review the bidding. You have the white supremacist rally. You have the counter-protesters. Um, there is a loss of life when some crazy neo-Nazi drives his car into the counter-protesters. Um, people are injured. One woman loses her life. The president makes a statement on Saturday. He makes a more detailed statement on Monday on Tuesday, for reasons that pass understanding, he then decides to revisit this entire thing, um, and it has created this huge controversy that continues to exist uh, to today. So let me ask you this. So let's start with you, Tracy. Can the Trump administration recover? After the events of the past week, it's been a bad week for the Trump administration. Well, it's been a, a bad week for the Trump administration. I, I would suggest that it's been a bad week for the, the country. I mean, I, I know you're not a, a very active on social media, but it is just it is it is crazy. People have taken this fight to the internet and are. I, I mean, I don't even know what they're fighting about anymore, except that that everybody's racist. Uh, um, but going back to your question about can the Trump administration recover? Yes, it always recovers. Um, and I think what what it's really shown me, though, is that um, no matter what President Trump does, the media is going to take whatever he does and amplify it instead of trying to be part of a solution. He's go- they're going to try to be part of the problem, try to take down the president. And I just it's it, I can see what it's doing to the people in the country. And let's just be honest. If he came out and said, listen, I may have misspoken. I apologize. They wouldn't they wouldn't forgive him. They wouldn't forgive him. And I, I don't believe in my heart of hearts that he meant meant anything racist about what he said. But I, I think it is just tragic that people are taking it and, and taking but, their but own let, agendas. But let's talk about the, the, the that that might very, that all might yeah. be very true. But let's let's talk about the politics of it. Um, you, you now you now have the the anti-Trump people are perhaps even more galvanized than anything. Can, can he can he get anything done and how? I, I'm, I'm losing faith in his ability to get things done because I think people are so distracted by trying to, you know, take this message of racism and, and use it to go against the president. And I, I just think it's and is he partially uh, tragic. to blame for that. Well, I mean, I think he, he, people are looking at this as an opportunity to do that, and they will take any opportunity to do that because I think they see that this is a. A kind of a, a lost cause, and I'm not calling his presidency a lost cause, but I'm very disappointed, and I'm really disappointed in the GOP leadership for that matter. Susie Falk. 
well, we've been talking about this since January when he was elected and became our president, that, you know, we knew we were voting for an imbecile. Everybody knew he was crazy and that he would say outrageous things. Um, and then we knew we got, I would say, an imbecile for a president. But now we've learned that he's politically inept. He's morally barren, and he seems to be, um, temperamentally at least, unfit for the office. And it's not just coming out there on social media, Tracy, by people that either love or hate him or the media, but you have very, very solid Republicans in office that are questioning his fitness, his ability to lead. Um, you have his biographer, who... Uh, Donald Trump's biographer, I believe the last name Schultz, who is basically saying he's going to resign before Mueller finds anything um, to impeach him on, whether that happens or not. But he will probably step down. And if he doesn't, I think he's foolish. I will say this, and I'm so disappointed in, 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 in what could have been. And what could have been was after... He came out for, with a second statement on Monday. Which I thought was which okay. Which was good. I, oh, I, mean, I, I thought it was great. I, 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 I said right. loudly, I said he fi- He said the right thing. I, I, I agree. I think the, oh, yeah. the month, and I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought, I thought some of the, I thought a lot of the criticism of what he said on Saturday was unfair and sort of misplaced. It wasn't quite enough. It's opportunistic. Right. But, but, but regardless. But I mean, it, what he but, said wasn't quite enough. And right. you're right. People were jumping on him. Right. I but, get but regardless, Technically, I, it was accurate. Right. And, and I, but I think that his Monday statement, yep. and we carried it live, I thought that hit all the right yep. tones. He denounced the, the Ku Klux Klan, right. white supremacists. And that wasn't enough for some people, to your point, Tracy. I mean, it was people who, who still said, well, he was forced into this. It was too little, too late. But I, I thought it was Monday a good tone. Monday was great. And okay. here's where he dropped the ball. And this is why we should all be very concerned with him being the leader of our country. He could have risen to the to the occasion and said, I am going to make this my legacy as president. I have the ear of the alt-right. I have the ear of people that maybe aren't getting along with, with minorities in this country. And I have a shining moment to do something so incredible, which is to call for a council on race relations in this country and to appoint priests and rabbis and ministers and and black people and white people and Jewish people and yellow people and have them all sit down so that we could have a thoughtful conversation on the race issue, which which we did not during the Obama years, I will say. Okay, he completely not only dropped the ball, but he proved he's politically inept. He's fanning fanning the flames of racist behavior in this country, and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. We have neo-Nazis are planning, what, eight, nine marches in the country Saturday? Thank God they're not in Milwaukee. Tracy, why do you why do you think he revisited the thing on Tuesday? I mean, the the, the thing that created the, the, the controversy, the firestorm since mm-hmm. Tuesday was he, he's coming out to hold an announcement that they're signing an infrastructure executive order, yeah. which nobody has heard about because nobody pays any attention to it after that. And yeah. then apparently the the deal was you say this you, you then turn it over to other people and you leave, and he gets involved in what I, I think could fairly be described as it's like a middle school food fight yeah. between the media who, you know, who bait him and he who responds. What, what was he doing? It's just, it's, I mean, he just can't help himself on, on some of these things. And I guess shame on the administration for not, you know, being able to, to know that because it's happened multiple times, <laughs> multiple times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. It happens every time. Um, but, but, it's the it's 
I always point to the media. I'm so disappointed in the media and I'm so disappointed in the people that take that message and then they they reflect that then back onto the people who want the best for this country and want to see the president succeed. And and I think that's where I get a little defensive is that that all of those things are being projected onto people like me who support what right. well, is trying a, to be done. I was talking about this earlier. There, there's a piece in the Washington Post that says that anybody who support continues to support Donald Trump is a racist. It's uh, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 I don't believe that. Right. I really well, don't right. believe and that. And you can think- say that, but there are so many people who do, and and I I, I okay. struggle to sit here and try to C- could we talk about defend me- our country? Could we talk about the media for a minute. And okay. I'm thinking of writing an op-ed on the topic, and that is this: is that we surround ourselves with like-minded people, and we surround ourselves and we with media, and we read media that tends to you know endorse our already established opinions. What I'm trying to do is listen to more AM radio, more stations, read more newspapers, pay more attention to what's happening on both Fox, CNN, CNBC, because there are two sides to every story, and there there are so many sides to this story. We don't know what it's like to be a black person and to see a statue of Robert E. Lee in a public space in the South. I don't know what that feels like. So I am trying to understand. And if we don't listen, if we don't pay attention to more than one media outlet, and I love TMJ Radio, I do, and I listen to Jeff a lot, we we have only ourselves to blame for the animosity that is taking place in this country. And the fact that Donald Trump became president because people are... They're disgruntled. They are, they are, many white people feel like they're forgotten. I know a lot of white people in, in western Wisconsin that feels like nobody is paying attention to those small communities. Donald Trump listened. He, he took that. He ran with it. He became president. We have to listen to everybody in this country, and that means going to different media outlets. You can outlets. listen, but then don't. I mean, I, I think uh, there's just a lot of hate that's transpired, and I don't think it's, I, I, I hate to, blame the president because I don't think I think no matter what he does he could come up with a cure for cancer and I swear to God people would criticize him where were why didn't you do it sooner why you you took resources from somebody else so I think you know that that's misplaced blame I agree with you that we should listen to all sides but we, we need to be more respectful he, the media doesn't it's not that they're just jumping down Trump Trump hates the media well but did but, you hear the news yeah, but, but, on, no yeah, fake but, news fake right, news yeah fake but, news. but but they it, it, in fairness I mean I don't know that I've ever seen a president's been that's been covered the way he and, and again he, he he baits that they bait yeah. him, and he responds. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, you know, to prepare the show. I, I I read the New York Times, so other people don't have to, and the Washington <laughs> Post and all that stuff. And I, I will tell you, I mean, I've never seen anything. Literally every article. And I do agree with yeah. Tracy to an extent that he could cure cancer, and they'd still complain about it. But I mean, I I, I do agree that the, the political vitriol has always been bad, and I think it's it's perhaps worse now than ever. Got to take a quick break. We continue with the week in review. I'm Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. Uh, this is 620 WTMJ. It's 1145. 11.48, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review, my poor time management skills. Right? You guys were interesting in that last segment. Uh, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, breaking news. Perhaps no surprise. Um, Donald Trump apparently just announcing that Steve Bannon, the flamethrower, the Breitbart guy who's been kind of isolated, um, he's now out as the chief strategist. Any surprise, ladies? No, this is good. This is good. All right. Can we can we check that box? We both can we agree. move on? Yeah, okay. Agree. This is good. <laughs> this is a good step. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's the, go in this direction well, now. The, the, well, the, the last... Okay, just like, just like Scaramucci 
for reasons that pass understanding, picks up the phone, calls a guy from the New Yorker magazine, <laughs> and, and then goes off on an obscenity-laced tirade about Reince Priebus and all. Um, you, you have Bannon who calls up somebody from one of these lefty magazines and does essentially the same thing, starts undermining Trump. It's like, okay, wh- don't these people think before they pick up the telephone? Nope. 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 <laughs> you know, he, they don't he think brought, doing he a lot brought of things. some politically you know, unsavvy people to the White House, himself included, so they're going to make these mistakes. Um, I, he know, was a dumpster fire from the jump. He, <laughs> no, he he, just I'm was. surprised he lasted this long, actually. It, it, yeah. Uh, it, well, it, it makes you think, though, Scaramucci. He was like, uh, he knew. He knew yeah. what was going on. He yeah, let it out. And yeah, ten, I wonder who else is going to All became reality. Well, well, there, family right. there. 10 or 11 days. Okay. Um, yesterday, big news coming out of the state legislature. Um, the Assembly passed the Foxconn bill. It's going to go to the Senate. It, it's going to be approved, I, I think, Maybe not in exactly the form, but it's going to be approved and perhaps approved the next couple of weeks. Is the state going to regret approving the Foxconn package? Look into the, the crystal ball. Susie. Nope. I don't think so. Uh-uh. Once building the building and construction period starts and we see the excitement and 94 starts to take shape and the, the housing um, you know, development situation improves in that part of the region of the state, I think we're all going to be very happy. And the ancillary businesses we've already talked about, I know they're, that we're talking now about fewer jobs than the 13,000 that were discussed. You know, I think 8,000 is still a fantastic number, and I think there are safeguards in the bill that will ensure that we're not giving away money uh, freely without um, getting jobs in return. Tracy. Yeah, I, you're going to see it even before a shovel hits the ground. I almost found it comical watching on Wisconsin Eye people trying to go against the bill. Um, you know, I understand that they wanted to maybe slow it down or, you know, talk about it. But come on, time kills deals here, people, and we do not have all day. So I think you're this is what we need to do, though, is not oversell. Um, and I think you're starting to see some of that kind of come into play, maybe undersell, over-deliver, mm-hmm. um, I think is a good way to, to play this I, because I was, the, the benefits are going to be. I was surprised that no Milwaukee Democrats, not a single one, voted for this. You were surprised? Well, disappointed. Maybe disappointed Disapp- is a better word. But even, I mean, you look at, I mean, the people who, Corey Mason and Peter Barca. Racine Kenosha Democrats, yeah. I mean, they even, well, Peter Barca, I know, kicked and screamed a little bit. But, I mean, this, no. I think he was doing that. Um, for you know, show. Do, at the end of the day, they realize this is going to be good for their constituents. This is going to be good. It has the potential to be really good for Milwaukee um, because you have high unemployment. Maybe they're not. Maybe some of the people aren't going to have the training to work at at some of the assembly jobs, but they can work at some of the other jobs to support Foxconn. But, but think about this now: like, who's going to hire all these people? I mean, there's obviously going to be um, you know jobs created in that. I mean, what about um, the the you know transportation business that will likely start as a result of trying to get the workers? There's so many things that we need to consider. Okay, uh, we're running out of time, so very quickly, um, Tom Barrett floats an idea that he rejected during the mayoral campaign that Bob Donovan had posted. Now he says a one-half cent sales tax to help pay for police. Good idea, bad idea. Susie? I think it's necessary. You know, I think that this, the state sharing formula is is not working, and I think we, you know, he's increasing the, we are increasing the property taxes to pay for some services. I don't think we have another way around it. Tracy? But as we all know, the sales, t- that needs to go before the state legislature. legislature yep. And so, you know, I think what, what, you're seeing here is trying to get that state kind of share in that decision making. Now, if if they need to let all these police officers go because they don't have the money, whose feet does that lie on? I think a sales tax is the wrong way to go because it's a regressive tax. It's I mean, the poor the, more more. So, yeah. so I think what they need to do, I mean, unless they do a, a referendum 
and they can get approval for that. I, I don't think it will pass, but I think they really need to take a, a long, hard look at how well, they... I think we need to look at other cities, too, and see how they're doing it. I just don't... Other think ways to generate the, the revenue. structure we have in place okay. is working. It's 11.53. Kind of, again, my poor time management skills. Let's go too long on the first segment. We've got um, our Right Stuff Awards coming up. Stick around. It's 11.53. We are also live streaming, Facebook Live as well. You can check that out. It's 11.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review. We end on a high note. Our Right Stuff Award, Susie Falk. Uh, the mother of Heather Bro, who was the victim in the horrible incident in, in Charlottesville last weekend, um, I can't imagine what it's like to lose a daughter. And Susan Bro, the mother, got up in front of... Uh, the congregation and said some very sweet things about her daughter but then she went on to say and she's so calm and collected she said you know what we need to look at this opportunity to to have a legacy for Heather and to point out injustices and to, and think about what we can do to make the world a better place she was so so motivating and inspirational I think she delivered the speech that we wish uh, Donald Trump would have Tracy Johnson. All right, my right stuff award goes to Packers coach Mike McCarthy um, he has talked about um, the importance and the meaning of the anthem and stressing its importance uh, to the players. And I guess since 2006, he's been showing a, a PowerPoint presentation to really show the meaning. And this is all in uh, the light of these players who kneel and are showing this disrespect and trying to gain an audience. And, you know, I hope that he is instilling these good values in the Packers players and they can continue to be America's team. And my Right Stuff Award winners goes to the 59 legislators, including three Democrats, who voted for the Foxconn bill yesterday. I understand that there's some risks that are involved, but I think this is going to be transformative um, for the state. And I think just like we had a controversy involving Miller Park, you know, a decade and a half ago, and now I think everybody says Miller Park was a good thing, I think we're going to look back at Foxconn and feel the same way. Ladies, thank you very much. It is a pleasure, as always.